good morning. This is Peter John, and you are tuned in to Rogue Grace here on KAPL. I want to talk to you about how to be a good dad <laughs> or a good mom, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not going to try to endeavor in territory I'm not qualified, but I do have some thoughts about being a good dad. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy, as you probably already know. Sympathy, by basic definition, is I understand how you feel. Empathy, on the other hand, is I feel what you feel. Jesus doesn't simply have sympathy for us. He also has empathy for us. For he has been through what we have gone through or are going through, right? The ancient Greeks had a, a one word for this. Sympateo. Obviously from very familiar to us like our word, sympathetic. And the definition of that Greek word, sympateo, is, quote, affected as the same feeling as the other, end quote. So, sympatheo, or sympathy in the Greek, is more like our word, empathy, now. To feel what other people feel. To not just understand or get where that person is coming from, but to really feel what they feel. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4 says about our Lord Jesus. You might be very familiar with this powerful verse. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We receive mercy and find grace. I like that, that difference there, right? May we receive mercy and find grace. I, I get what, what's being said there, at least in my own personal experience, in my own life. Boy, I just receive mercy. Pour it on me, Lord. 
but I find grace. I pour it on. By that, I mean, Lord, I can't achieve or receive your mercy based on anything I do at all. And, and, and neither your grace, but Lord, just with your mercy, pour it on, give it to me, Lord, because you're being merciful to me. But when it comes to grace, I find it. Not that I earn it, no way, but I find it. I find it in the Bible. I find it at the Lord's table and I find it in prayer. But I love that. I love that he's touched with our feelings, not just sympathy, my friends, empathy. As the King James says, touched with your feeling. I love that. When you have anger, he's touched by your feeling, sadness, frustration, depression, resentment, moodiness. It does not say in this verse it doesn't say he 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 feels our victory our elation our sense of fun our unselfishness but he can feel your frustration and resentment and anger so if jesus feels those things when we do are those things then sin no not the feelings you get and this is big, please, if, if you want to receive this, if you, if you believe this, if you agree with this, good. This is something I submit to you for your thinking. You can't help how you feel. The devil wants to condemn you for how you feel. He wants you to, to think it's a sin for feeling those things. Frustration, resentment, depression. But Jesus feels them too. And I'm telling you, when you feel him, he feels them. And he does not sin. And so dad, maybe mom, this is what we can do for our kids. We help our kid, our child to do right by allowing them to process their feelings. Boy, this is something I slowly learned as a dad myself. Let them process their feelings as you work with them. Let them talk about how they feel. It's not forbidden. It's not bad. I think if you're, you're probably a lot like me in this sense, we want to rescue our children, right? From disaster or rejection, negativity. We want to shield them, right? Defend them against every pain and emotion. But the fact is they are going to feel pain and emotion because they're human beings. And I would suggest the very pain and emotion that they're feeling as a kid is every bit equivalent to what we feel as adults. So let them feel those emotions. Cannot save them from everything, even though we want to. I want, I, I'm trying to learn this, that if my kids say this is how they feel in one way or another, and they're, they're not articulate enough yet to say, this is how I feel. 
they're saying it in other ways, right? That's a little more uh, kiddo-like. That's a little more rough around the edges, right? You know that if you're a parent. But I want them to at least receive the feeling, if not the words, of daddy knows how you feel and it's okay. The Bible puts it this way. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Somewhere in the child's heart, they need to know that their dad understands what they're going through. And that's what Jesus did so beautifully in his life. In John 11, remember that? He wept. He grieved when his friend Lazarus had died because he felt the feelings of Mary and Martha, his sisters, Lazarus's sisters. Bottom line, truth and tears can coexist side by side. Jesus shows us that. Sometimes we think there should be no tears if there's going to be truth. And if there are tears, there's going to be no truth. I think if I look at Jesus, I see truth and tears can exist side by side. And maybe they most often do. So to my kids, I think I'm learning to say, to not say, to not say, there's no reason for you to feel that way. At least I'm glad that God doesn't say that to me. But he feels what I feel through Jesus Christ. We'll be right back. Justified Because of you I have been justified Jesus, you have made me new inside, inside Sanctified Because of you I'm being sanctified I was dead but I've been made alive Alive In you You took my filthy rags You took my filthy rags You took my filthy rags And gave me robes of righteousness Justified Because of you I have been justified Jesus, you have made me new inside, inside Sanctified 
Because of you I'm being sanctified I was dead but I've been made alive Alive In you You took my filthy rags You took my filthy rags You took my filthy rags And gave me robes of Touch the leper, you become unclean. Under grace, Jesus touched the leper, and the unclean leper became clean. Under the law, uncleanness was what was transferable. Under grace, we see that through Jesus, it is his righteousness that is transferable. Oh man, I'm glad Jesus came. I'm glad we're not under the law because now sin is all taken care of in this way. God's grace stops sin. But sin cannot stop God's grace. Wow. Thank you, Lord, that you are working on my life and in my life, helping me to overcome sin. But even as you do, my sin cannot stop your grace. When you look at Jesus, he, 
he lived in, in his ministry. He was not made of no effect amongst the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners. But rather, he was made, from their perspective, of no effect amongst those who were under the law. Even so much so that the woman who was hemorrhaging blood or the leper, they literally broke the law to get to Jesus. They broke the law to move through the community the way that they did, the crowds, to get to him. She was unclean. She was not to be. He was unclean. He was not to be in those crowded circumstances, but they made their way. They sinned to get to Jesus. My point is not so sin so you can get to Jesus. My point is Jesus does not condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And so often we say, go and sin no more, and he will not condemn you. No, he says, I do not condemn you. Now go your way and sin no more. It was of those two people that, that I mentioned, um, the Canaanite woman and the leper, that we see we come to Jesus just as we are. I'm so grateful. The, 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 not the Canaanite woman, I'm sorry, the woman with the effect of blood. I'm so thankful that what I read to begin this segment is the way that God has chosen, for whatever reason, to implement salvation. It's no longer under the law, but now by the grace of God. So under the law, you cannot touch a dead and unclean thing, or you will become unclean, right? Under grace, God says, literally, do not call unclean what God has made clean. And for some of us, for some of you, that means yourself. Do not call unclean what God has made clean, is what the book of Acts declares, what the angels told Peter. And there's somebody listening right now that you keep calling yourself unclean. Maybe not that word, okay? But in your thinking, even maybe even with your words, you keep calling yourself an idiot, (laughs) a sinner, a jerk, a loser. Day by day, you say those things. You love the Lord. You love Jesus. But you hate yourself, okay? Do not call unclean what God has made clean. And that even means you. Because, see, here's what I'm learning. If you or I are always belittling ourselves in such a way that I just mentioned, then we are belittling the work of the blood of Jesus, the power of the cross. I'm an idiot, moron, loser, dork, whatever. Well, that means then his cross isn't as sufficient as the Bible says. 
because it says that his cross makes me a saint. It says that his cross makes me a child of God, not what I just mentioned. So I need, you need to line up our words about ourselves, if we have to talk about ourselves, with what I just read. Do not call unclean what God has made clean. Acts chapter 10. God has made you clean, Christian. So no need to belittle or to minimize his work upon you. Because as unclean as you feel, you are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As unworthy as you feel, you are in Jesus Christ. That should put you in a good mood. Fortune lies beyond the stars Those dazzling hearts too fast to climb I got so hard to fall so far But I found heaven as love swept low My heart beating, my soul breathing I found my life when I laid it
here and what I like to say now is to preach the gospel will not be pleasing to people the gospel of grace why because people we tend to delight in our own work our own effort our own keeping of commandments. We're people pleasers, generally speaking, naturally. And so people pleasers preach the law because they want to, through the law, be accepted. But when you preach grace, literally, all hell breaks loose. It goes against our flesh And that's why the good news is so easily rejected by people. It's the gospel of grace. And if it's not of grace, it's not the gospel. It might be the law. It might be the word for sure. It might be good advice in other instances, but it's not the good news. So, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel, let that person be accursed. Another gospel. Notice he didn't say, by the way, even if we or an angel from hell. (laughs) I mean, that's obvious, right? But even an angel from heaven Any other gospel than that of the grace of Jesus Christ is not the gospel. And Paul has some strong words to preach otherwise. And in case we didn't get the message, he says it again. He says, let it be a curse. There's a double curse. Because Paul, bless his heart, is endeavoring to bring people back to grace, into grace. Interesting that another guy, Jude, says that people will tend to leave, will, not tend, he says will, he says leave grace to licentiousness. They'll leave grace to enter licentiousness. Isn't that interesting? We, I think we would assume, wait, grace leads to licentiousness or free license, right? No. He says people leave God's grace, his approval, his blessing in order to get into that licentiousness. They've lost their concept of the grace of God. But that stirs things up to preach the gospel of grace is not pleasing to people so often. We just saw what happens too often with the devil, they hate the preaching of the gospel of grace. Because like I said, we delight, tend to delight in our own works, in our own efforts, in our own keeping of commandments. And like I said, you preach grace and all hell breaks loose in your life or people. It just happens because it's the truth. 
Remember that agreement that God made with Adam and Eve? You may freely eat, he said, of any tree. Obviously, a generous God. That was the only thing that they could do to break their covenant was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, just theoretically speaking, I'm not saying this happened, but even if they did something, Adam and Eve, there in the Garden of Eden, that would break today's Ten Commandments that we have, you know, that, that God gave to Moses, theoretically, as long as they didn't eat of this tree, the blessings would still come into their lives. <laughs> right? I'm not saying they did break the Ten Commandments. I'm saying, theoretically, if they did, as long as they didn't eat of that tree, they were still okay. And it wasn't called the tree of sin or the tree of death, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That sounds very familiar, a lot like the law. The law is beautiful. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was beautiful. We're not here to say the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was evil in the sense of it's horrible, it's terrible. No, it's so good that they couldn't take it. They shouldn't take it. Because wouldn't you think, wouldn't be a good thing to know what good and evil is? But look at God. Look at his persona. He wanted Adam and Eve to be free in his presence. Not knowing, or I should probably more accurately say, not tallying what is good or bad, but just knowing and enjoying God. And they'll end up doing what is right and what is good because they're enjoying God. So my point of all this, enjoy the Lord. (laughs) That's the key. Just enjoy God and you will end up doing what is good. Enjoy God and you will end up doing what is right. Not because you're so good, but you're enjoying God. Can you hear the angels screaming? Today is your salvation.
I like that little phrase he uses there. We're living on borrowed time, and that's why I'm giving you mine. Isn't that cool? That's what the Lord himself says to us, as well as we should say to each other. But God says to us, you're living on borrowed time. That's why I'm giving you mine, so to speak. Not that God is confined to time, but it's a phrase I'm using. I'm giving you my time because you're living on borrowed time. Beautiful. Okay, Lord, I realize I'm living a life that is not going to last forever in terms of this dimension, but you're giving me your time as much as I want to take. That's cool. Listen to what I'm about to say, if you want, of course. It's a free country from last I checked. But under grace, you will live in holiness. By accident. More than you will trying under the law. Again, under grace, you will live in holiness by accident more than you will trying under the law because grace changes your heart the law cannot now god writes his will his law on your heart so under grace now it's almost as though it's not even necessarily in some so many ways it's 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 not something by which you discipline yourself as you were under the law but it's in your heart yeah the heart is desperately wicked doesn't that what the bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it absolutely but god has given us a new heart So somehow this has to work into that equation where I always and often have preached and heard our hearts are deceitfully wicked, right? Well, how about Ezekiel when God says, I will give to you a new heart, no longer of stone, but a heart of flesh. Even as David prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart. But now through Jesus, we have been given that clean heart, right? And so now when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, he preached to his disciples, go out into all the world. I'm so glad it's not simply confined any longer to just Israel, but now into all the world. So, your heart has been made new. Created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me, we sing. David wrote, right? He was writing in desire of that. We get to say that as being those that have already received it. Lord, you've created in me a clean heart. Well, Pete, what about these issues in my heart that are wrong? That's a good question. I don't have the answer for that. 
if we have a clean heart, then why is your heart rotten still? Mm, I don't know. But I will say, I will say that even with our sinful inclinations, positionally, eternally, we have been given a righteous standing of justification and that should change, affect, heal, bless your heart. We'll be right back after this. Sleep lay a house stone but never alone You can make a tender one Your sound wakes my mind for your morning song Many rushing waters come Breaking like the morning sun My heart is yours Every dawn This light is yours From the security we have, we are going to do what is wrong out of insecurity. Lies, jealousy, grudges, coveting, anger, all comes because we are insecure. We sin out of insecurity. We do what is right out of security. The law, not its fault, it's all mine, but the law brings about insecurity. The gospel brings about security. That is, it's not my performance, it is 
his performance. So imagine, for example, this is kind of a dumb illustration, but like a, a, a trapeze artist. If you're at a circus, I don't even think they have circuses anymore. They did when I was a little kid. But the trapeze artist, right? What, what is better for his performance? To know that there is a net underneath or there's no net underneath? I think he's going to be more fluid, more daring. He's going to do better knowing there's a net underneath. And, and that's the security of grace that allows us to be more daring to do what is right, to follow God's word, to keep his commandments, knowing I'm going to stay on this. And even if I fall, he still has me will actually work in us more holiness than if we think if I fall, I'm toast, splat. That's how I see things better yet. Better yet, that's how I read things in the New Testament. So out of security, you live right. How do you get the security? How do you know that once you are saved, you're saved forever? (laughs) Well, as David said, if the blood of bulls could cover my sins, that's what I'd go with. Okay? So what do you suppose the blood of the lamb can do? Just cover you until your next sin? Then that means your sin is greater than the blood of the lamb. But what the last Adam did was much greater than what the first Adam did. That's why the Bible says, how much more do we have the grace of God? So I've had a really good time talking to you today about grace. Thank you for allowing me to do so. I'm inviting you to come out tonight. Monday night Bible study with my brother, Ben Horsey. I was going to put his nickname in between that, but I decided not to. Anyways... Come on out. Awesome worship. Wonderful communion. And a great, wonderful Bible study. Can't beat that, really. So come on out. Looking forward to it. May the Lord bless you. Father, bless those that are listening right now with your very spirit. The spirit that brings comfort where comfort is needed, the spirit that leads and guides where we need direction, the spirit that heals our bodies where we need to be healed. It's the greatest thing in the whole world, Lord, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So would you do that for all who are listening right now? I thank you that you will, because I've asked in the name of Jesus. Amen.